Hello and welcome to Cubs PS Plus, a Northside numbers game, a weekly podcast that dives headfirst into the analysis of hot topics driving Chicago Cubs baseball. I'm your host, Mike Waller, a lifelong Cub fan, full-time baseball stat nerd, and sometime youth baseball coach. Thank you for being here today. I know you have a lot of choices. You can also find me on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube, all at Cubs PS Plus, a spin on the baseball metric OPS Plus. If you can, please take 10 seconds and drop a rating or a review on Apple, Spotify, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. If you've done that, thank you so much. Maybe you can share an episode with a friend. Just a few seconds on your end can help me get better and help other Cub fans find the show. You can also now help support the Cubs PS Plus podcast by going to cubspsplus.patreon.com. There are four support tiers that come with added perks, such as access to a private Discord discussion group, access to bonus episodes, merchandise discounts in the merch store that will launch in the coming weeks, and the ability to submit priority questions ahead of time for interview guests and more. Your support will help me keep this podcast ad-free. Welcome into episode 35. The Cubs aren't playing as well as they were the last time I sat down to have a conversation with you all. So let's let this week's episode be a nice distraction from all the concerns about what's going on with the team on this road trip. 1-5 so far, heading into the final game against the Nationals. We can get back to all those things in the next episode. This week I was able to sit down and talk baseball with Cubs baseball scientist Dr. Mike Son, who the Cubs hired for his biomechanics experience last October. We talk about the role of baseball science within the Cubs system and how things have gone for him in his first six months. Are you ready? I'm ready. Here. We. Go. Today I'm thrilled to be joined by Dr. Mike Son, baseball scientist with the Chicago Cubs. Welcome, Mike. Thank you very much for having me on, Mike. This is great. I've been looking forward to it, uh, to getting you on here. Um, how, how was it? I know you got a background in biomechanics. How did you wind up in baseball? Um, so I would actually say like, I've, I've been a huge baseball fan my entire life. Um, I originally thought I was going to get into athletic training, uh, but that was a little bit more on the football side of things. Um, career kind of veered coming out of my undergrad and I went more into the ergonomics, uh, world. Um, my PhD, I looked at studying muscle fatigue, uh, and built a model for predicting, uh, muscle fatigue. You know, all the while, uh, baseball was coming up with this idea of the pitch clock and the two research fields kind of crashed into yes. each other, did a, did a paper on, on how, uh, how I thought the pitch clock might impact muscle fatigue in, in pitchers and, and the rest was history. That's great. So what, what are you finding? How is, how is the theory that you know, you've been working with proving out in the majors? I know it, it's been in the minor leagues, but it does seem to operate a little bit different at the big league level. Yeah, I know, um, you know, subjectively, uh, some of the players are, are commenting on feeling like they're rushed or, or that pitch clock is different than it's been in the minor leagues. Um, I know across the board, people are, um, they're happy with the product on the field. Uh, the, the league is, uh, without a doubt. Uh, I know a lot of our coaches are happy with the product on the field because they're, you know, getting home. 20, 30 minutes mm-hmm. earlier than they have in the past. Um, I think we need to keep an eye on injury rates and, and velocities as the, the season goes down. Uh, you know, we move along. Um, you know, I know that's something that we're monitoring. Um, so, it, you know, it's, uh, it's going to be something that we need to pay attention to as this, this season goes along. So as the baseball scientist, what, what are you looking at with that? What, what are you digging into? I mean, I'm looking at characteristics around how the pitchers move, um, you know, how their their mechanics change, looking into velocities, um, but also listening to the coaches. Um, 
there's there's a good subjective and, and qualitative aspect to this as well to to get their ideas on on how things are working. Okay. And do you mostly um, in your role? Do you mostly interact with the coaches? Yes, definitely. Um, I think our entire baseball sciences department is very focused on how do we make sure that we educate and empower our coaches to use data in the most effective way um, to deliver that information to to the player in you know their unique way that they found to be successful with with the players okay. um, you know and and kind of distill that information down so that it can be used whether it's in a bullpen or in a game or you know in the batter's box okay and you're uh how often are you on site i know you're you're based in canada right yeah just based uh, about 45 minutes outside of uh of toronto so i'm in chicago for at least one home series every every month uh and then i visit every single one of our affiliates twice in season so i uh i was in chicago and south bend uh two weeks ago and then i was in phoenix uh last week uh and i'm back in chicago next week so this is my my one day back home uh for, <laughs> for in a bit but then we then we have a bit of a break so um i guess walk me through what a typical day is for you like what does the baseball scientist with the cubs do yeah i mean um it's a very exciting job. Like I'm, I'm thrilled with it uh, because it's, it's hard to say what a day to day is. Um, it's unique because, you know, today um, we're, we're meeting with our entire R and D staff to kind of break things down of, you know, what happened in the, in the past few series uh, and getting everybody's ideas on, on how that went and, and what we could, you know, do better uh, as a group. Um, you know, and all that while I'm, I'm doing some data analysis and, you know, running queries on, on certain, variables that, that I'm interested in. Um, but when, when I head out to the affiliates or whatever, uh, it's, it's a lot of being on the field. Um, you know, it, when I'm, when I'm at the affiliates, I, I actually get to put on, you know, baseball pants and, and be in the dugout and Excellent. you know do exciting things like that. Um, I really enjoy that aspect of things because I, I tend to get my research ideas from, you know, being as close to close to the action as possible, you know, going back to the ergonomics world that was, you know, trying to put pins in, in cars on the assembly line or, mm -hmm. uh, you know, getting right into a nuclear reactor, um, uh, and, and doing assessments in there. Um, so being close to the action and, and, you know, actually feeling those pain points and, and feeling what questions our guys are struggling to answer. Um, that's super, super helpful. So it's a, it's a very, very diverse role. Um, the demands change based on what the team needs. You know, we're typically working on things that are to set us up for, you know, later this season, next season, uh, not a lot of putting out immediate fires. Um, but uh, yeah, you get to kind of touch every aspect of, of working with the team, which is super exciting. That's very cool. So let's back up a little bit. So when, when you came from the automotive world, that's where you did your doctoral thesis, correct? Mm -hmm. um, and then you came through, with ProPlay AI, you co-founded. Um, walk me through the the single camera, the markerless motion detect detect uh, markerless motion capture. Sorry. Yeah, and and that actually came out of you know that ergonomics world as well. Um, and and back in in twenty twenty, um, even twenty nineteen, um, late twenty nineteen, um, we had been exploring how to use markerless motion capture technology in the ergonomic space. So film mm -hmm. somebody you know, working, get an idea of how much risk they might have for injury uh, and, and, and look at that. And 
all the while, you know, I was maybe helping out a couple amateur teams or, or playing in men's league, uh, and use that technology just to see how somebody was pitching and said, Hmm, we might have something here. So we, we kind of put together a proof of concept of that product, uh, took it to the MLB winter meetings in 2019 in San Diego, went really, really well, <coughs> started building out that product a little bit more. I mean, I had a meeting with Craig Breslow and, and Ryan Otero on, I think it was March 9th, 2020, uh, at Sloan Park. And we know what happened uh, after that. Yeah, right after that. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's been an interesting journey, but what we did with, with three motion AI or, or pro play AI, uh, as the product's called, uh, we were just trying to reduce some of the technical barriers when it came to capturing data on, on how people move. Um, we have fantastic systems internally um, that allow us to do that. And that's both with the Cubs and, and the rest of, of baseball. Mm -hmm. uh, they do tend to be, you know, a little bit more expensive, require a bit more technical knowledge, um, but huge, huge decisions are being made off of, off of those data. Mm -hmm. So ProPlay AI, the goal of that was to just come up with a system that reduced some of those technical barriers. Um, and, you know, while it wasn't as accurate, uh, it was a lot faster to get. Uh, it was still very reliable. Uh, and you could capture that, you know, if you're trying to work on somebody to change something in their mechanics during a drill, you could actually see if, if that was that was changing. So that was a that was a very exciting project to be on and, uh, you know, still keep in touch with uh, with those folks. Can you run old video through that? So you got somebody like, let's say, Cody Bellinger. So he had those great years in LA. Mm -hmm. Now you're breaking down his mechanics. Can you run that, run his, some of his old footage through when that technology was not available in the past? Yeah, um, you know, absolutely. If, if it meets the certain criteria for that, for that um, typically need like a higher frame rate video just to make sure that we okay. can get things at like 120 frames, which most cell phones uh can do and a lot mm -hmm. of broadcasts do. Um, so yeah, you, that's definitely been one of the use cases. Um, I know a lot of people and, and myself included back when, when I was with the company, uh, we would like to compare people against certain pros or more importantly, I would say compare them back to them, their themselves when they were at their mm -hmm. peak. So, you know, that Bellinger example is a, a very good one. Cool. Um, and that allows you, whereas like in, in the pitch lab, I know they've got setups with hundreds of cameras and all the precision and all that stuff. So this allows you to be out on the field in the bullpen, grab some cell phone camera. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I've, I've, uh, you know, not for any sort of serious analysis, but we've got people throwing baseballs after jumping off a cliff that we've, you know, measured <laughs> while they were doing that. Uh, you know, we've got people throwing, uh, you know, in, in very weird places in very weird attire, um, just because you can capture it, it anywhere. So, you know, you're working with somebody on a backfield, uh, and you want to just get a, you know, a quick capture see how they're, how they're doing and compare it against the other video you've got from a game. That's definitely one of the, the main use cases we've, we've had. Okay. Now how involved, um, in the R and D are, are you focused on trying to, see where guys are trending and, and predict in the future or you do you get called in to work on say mechanical issues kind of all of it i i would say like it, it's all of it but what i would say like kind of it's kind of bigger picture you know okay. it's it's setting up the scaffolding to allow other analysts to do that or 
you know, setting up a framework to help the coaches look at data in a, in a certain way. Um, you know, there'll be the occasional time where we'll, you know, get a message or get a call and say, Hey, can you give us your thoughts on this one specific player? Uh, but you know, for the most part, I think the, the framework we put together and the work that we do, it helps our coaches address those certain player issues because we're, we're getting better at it. The industry is getting better at it. But at the end of the day, we don't necessarily know why somebody has changed how they move. Maybe it's an injury. Maybe it's a, a certain cue they were given. And our, our coaches are really, really good at, you know, being a coach, but also being a part-time psychologist and mm-hmm. you know, part-time person that diagnoses what, what might be happening with her. Yeah, during the offseason, I interviewed Mark Weissman, the strength and conditioning coach for Myrtle Beach, and he was telling me about the all the sensors they wear and they track, you know, how much they move around the complex and all that. I assume you have access to all that data to use as you see fit. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, and we we use that to you know look at the differences between different positions, and you know, um, you know, you might have two people playing the same position, but one of them's moving way way more. You know, why is that? Is it inefficiency or is it just that they're you know, a better athlete, they're, they're running more because they feel they can get to certain things. But, you know, we, we do work very closely with, with Weiss and, and the other SNC staff, um, you know, whether they're asking us to help them, you know, solve a problem or we're saying, Hey, you know, this data would be extremely helpful for us to relate back to the on-field performance. Okay. Um, you know, it's, it's a very connected group with it, with everyone. That's good. Um, one question I have on, your focus, a lot of what I've read about your background is focused on pitching and there's a lot of obvious pitching mechanics. Mm-hmm. Um, do you work as much on the hitting side or do you focus a lot on the pitching? Um, I would say like uh, with my work particularly, the stuff I'm doing with pitching, I feel like if you read about any of the things I'd done in the past, like, you know, you're going to have a pretty good idea of what I'm doing. Um, the hitting world is like definitely more of like the skunk works side of things, I think. And it's, it's been really fun. Like, you know, some of the technologies we have access to, um, you know, it's been a, it's been a really fun, really adventurous, um, you know, taking, you know, pun intended, but taking absolutely huge swings to see if we can, you know, hit real home runs with, with that work in there and, and bear some real fruit. So, uh, I would say, you know, it's maybe 60, 40 pitching to hitting right now, but some of that work we're doing on the hitting side is, is very, very exciting. Now on the hitting side, is there a particular part of the motion you're looking at? Are you looking at how the force gets going? Are you looking at where the hands and the bat go, bat plane? I, I, I think like very comparable to, to pitching, right? Like you want to understand, you know, ball velocity or exit velocity or bat speed, you know, that's, that's great, but you do have to work back the chain. Right. And on the hitting side, I think it's like, how do we make sure that we can work back that chain uh, and, and go all the way back and say, you know, what's causing somebody to have better contact, what's having better power. Um, And, and that can be very different person to person. And that's something I've seen the Cubs really improve on the last couple of years. I mean, I think two years ago, the strikeout rates across the lineup and some of it is the profile players the Cubs have brought in, but the contact is so much better now than it was before. So I'm, I mean, you look at like the, I think that's a lot by design by player, but also like, you know, our hitting group, there's some pretty smart people in that group. Like <laughs> Justin Stone is, is brilliant. And then like Rachel and Polly, like those two as our hitting coordinators right now, like, 
you those people if you get you get them to sit down at a bar and ask them a question about hitting you better be prepared to shut that place down um they live it they breathe it they absolutely love it and they're they're very motivating to be around because they just have such high expectations of themselves and everybody around them and it's it's an absolute pleasure to work with that group that's so cool and that i mean the way the pitching goes all the all the spin all the ball movement i, I love seeing the you know, pitching ninja, all the overlays people can get now. And honestly, I don't know how anybody hits. I was a, I was a bad hitter in high school and that was mostly just, you know, 80 miles an hour fastballs. Well, yeah. I mean, some of the fun that we get to have in, in R and D is, you know, we get to go in against some of our technologies and we get to go and see what it's like to, you know, face 95. And, uh, my, my initial reaction to that has always been this game's impossible. I, I don't understand how anybody can do this. Like, <laughs> You know, you're like, wow, that must have been 95. You're like, no, that was that was 70. I'm like, this is impossible. You know, <laughs> now, yeah. now pair that with a slider and you don't know what's coming next. Like, I, I don't understand how anybody gets a hit. Well, and they, sometimes you look so ridiculous, right? Because you, you swung at a pitch that bounced at 55 feet. But the point is you saw it like a split second out of the pitcher's hand. You saw fastball and it wasn't a fastball. Yeah, exactly. Um, so. Yeah, you know, the Pitching Ninja and, and Rob and, you know, a lot of those groups on, online, they do a pretty good job of demystifying why this is, is so hard. But, uh, you know, I think that's part of the game with how filthy guys are. And, oh, you you got to be comfortable maybe not looking great. Right. Well, one of the guys I wanted to ask you about, so Caleb Killian came up and made this start uh, on Saturday. And he was up last year. He had a pretty good first start. Then kind of, I think there were some mechanical issues. And then... You could just see him on Saturday. I don't know if it was nerves and pressing, but you know he didn't have he didn't have his breaking ball in the first inning. It was a long forty pitch inning, really struggled. But he really he he bounced back and looked a lot better in the second and the third inning and into the fourth. After a start like that, I mean, do you go in and look and work with the pitching staff to try to figure out like why his breaking ball wasn't moving in the in the first inning? Yes, yes and no. Um, like I would say that like me personally, I would not be involved with something that close. Um, okay. But we would look at overall trends and, and see certain things that Caleb has done. I I know back in spring training, you know, our pitching group is working really, really closely with Caleb. And I think the general impression of things would be really tough first inning. Uh, happens to everybody. Um, mm-hmm. You know, some of the greatest pitchers in the world have had those types of, of first innings. Uh, I think we're all very proud of, you know, what transpired after that and and view that as something that is really foundational to, to build on. Yeah, I know. I, I was never a pitcher, but my son pitched all through high school. And it's like one day he can be throwing the changeup and everything is perfect. And the next day he's on the mound and it's just gone. Yeah. Yeah. It just disappears. And then, and then maybe, you know, I, I think where our coaches are, are really exceptional is they know player to player, like, here's this one thing that I can say to you that's going to snap it right back in. Right. Like, and I think that's what makes the best pitchers in the world, the best pitchers in the world is that they can course correct really quickly when, when it isn't mm-hmm. going as well as they, they think. So um, whether that's our coaches or that's our players themselves, or that's our coaches teaching our players um, how to do that. Um, I, I think that's something that the organization does really well. When you're working with, we'll stick on the pitching, you're working with a pitcher and 
I know guys have added, you know, the sweeper slider, they're adding a new pitch. Do you work with, I guess you probably primarily work with the pitching, the coaching staff. Um, yes. Okay. Yeah. So is, if you see a trend, if you see a guy, we think with his arm path, this particular pitch would work really well. Um, do you get to, you provide the analysis and then do you start to show what a solution might look like? Or if a guy's having mechanical problems and kind of missing, say up in a lot, um, do you try to model back and try to find that root cause? I mean, I would, I would say like kind of even going back to, you know, the earlier point, like I believe like our role is more to provide the framework to help understand when something goes off the rails, like maybe ahead of time um, or identify the characteristics that would contribute to somebody being able to use a certain pitch. And then to really communicate that to our coaches who are working day to day with that athlete and with those pitchers and then our pitchers would be the ones that or or our coaches would be the ones to to instill something like that of hey let's let's get this this type of thing going and um you know our r&d group does a really good job of providing that type of insight and that type of a flagging to say you know let's try this out with this player and um you know that's probably one of the most exciting things about the Cubs organization is how much collaboration there is, you know, right from the coaches all the way to the R and D all the way to strength and conditioning. And everybody kind of works together on the same type of, of problems. What do you guys do from an injury prevention standpoint? Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, preventing injuries in pitching um, specifically. Yeah. It's, it's extremely difficult. Um, right. That's uh, we saw that issue and it's like, you are, you've got kind of the holy grail there, right? Um, yes. I, I think foundationally, you know, you you talk to Mark um, in the strength and conditioning group, it's trying to build like a very strong foundation that can hold up over the course of 162 plus, right? It's, uh, it's, it's monitoring things with those sensors, like Mark was talking about, um, you know, monitoring people's workloads, making sure that they don't spike too quickly um, during a season or, or spike too too quickly before the season and, and looking at progress. Um, you know, I think everybody can can say they've they've unturned every rock and they've <laughs> done everything they could to, to look at this. And I think every day we, we try and solve a little bit more of that that problem. But, you yeah, know, it's it's challenging and it's the reason why we you know, bring in a lot of smart people from a lot of different realms to, to try and solve that problem. And, you know, I know Jeff Passan had an article uh, maybe last week, maybe two weeks ago that just said injuries are up again this year. Right. Like, yeah. um, and, you know, some of that is maybe guys are, you know, flying pretty close to the sun. They're throwing really, really hard, but that's what gets guys out. And that can be what gets guys paid. Um, yep, so it's, it's sure. a delicate balance there um, for sure of, uh, you know, a lot of guys are of the mindset that it's better to be as good as you can be. And, and you, you kind of find where the, the cards lie after that um, rather than to never even get a shot um, at, yeah. uh, at getting to the majors. I have to think that's kind of what makes, we were talking before about how hard, how hard it is to, get in the majors and, and stay there. Um, you know, back in the day, 50 years ago, starting pitchers were expected to go eight, nine innings, basically complete everything they started. So yep. you're, you can't go max effort for nine innings. No, no. Um, you're just, and, you're burn out. And, 
I do think that's, you know, that might be one of the unintended consequences of the pitch clock is that guys do have to scale it back a little bit if if that's the case. Or it's a matter of changing some of their, their training um, and and trying to get it so that they can withstand that workload a little bit more. Um, so lots of things there. And, you know, it's a, it's an ongoing process to try and better understand it. One of the things I, I saw in your background um, that was interesting to me is some of this work you've done looking at the impact of relievers and, you know, how often they get up to warm up. Um, yep. Do you guys kind of set up a framework for how much work is too much or how much does a bullpen session add to the workload that that reliever is carrying? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, uh, it's not, not a cop out or anything like that, but it's amazing the difference between guys. You have some guys that they need the lights to be on. Um, and then there's other guys that need the lights to be on and they need a third deck in the stadium um, to, to really <laughs> like get into their, their, their velocity and, and really throwing hard. Uh, so it is pitcher to pitcher specific. Um, the bullpens are very important because they they help with execution. Um, they help us train command. They help us train velocity. They help us develop new pitches. Uh, and if you want any task to translate between practice and game, you want to try and make that task as close to game like as as possible. Whether you know, you're out on the driving range and playing golf or you're, you're taking BP or, or you're throwing a bullpen. Um, the, the relievers, um, when they're getting ready in, in that bullpen, you know, the, I'm not going to say the term, but the dry, uh, issue that they have when they are uh, being uh -huh. called up, like, and they don't get into the game. Um, I know we count that towards their workload. Um, and I know that our, our bullpen coaches, our managers, they, they get all the kind of limits ahead of time. So they know who's available on a certain day, whether, you know, that's green, yellow, red, or black. Um, and they can make the right decision, uh, on which pitcher they need to, uh, they need to bring in. And so who, who kind of sets those on a daily basis and, and how do you guys come up with those ratings? Yeah. I mean, it, it's partially, um, it's partially looking at like, you know, how much pitching have they done recently versus how much pitching have they done over the last 30 days? That's a, that's a big one. Uh, understanding how they're feeling, you know, whether they're, they're saying like, Hey, like, you know, I'm feeling like I'm a little bit sore today or, uh, not feeling like I'm super strong today. Um, it's the feedback from the athletic trainers. It's the feedback from the strength and conditioning guys. All of that kind of goes into one spot and uh, gives us like a, it's not necessarily super black and white. It's kind of a gradient of like, you know, if you absolutely need this guy, this is a guy you can use today versus like, there's no reservations on how much this player could be, could be used today. Okay. I assume the the importance of the game or the time of the season you're in plays into it too. Obviously, Game Seven of the World Series, probably everybody's available. You got the whole off season to yeah. To get right. <laughs> I, I think that's definitely true, right? Like, I, I think that's true in the sense of you are expected in the playoffs to be ready to rock and give us your your best. Um, that being said, um, you may have times where we know that this guy on his second day, his velocity is going to be down three miles an hour and he's going to get less break on his slider. Uh, it may not be the best time to bring That's that true. person into a game. Um, so that, uh, that makes a big, 
difference as well, right? Like I think it's, if you talk to most professional pitchers, most professional athletes, they want to play every day. Uh, mm-hmm. They would, if you gave them the opportunity to go out and compete or sit on the bench, they'd choose competition pretty much every single day. Um, but it's up to us to help guide our, our staff and our athletes to say, you know, today's the day that you're going to get the absolute most out of, out of what you do. Okay. What do you see? Do you see much difference in the, in the data and in some of the, the actual biomechanical markers when weather is really cold, you know, Chicago in April, as opposed to, you know, going down to Miami this weekend and, and playing in the humidity down there. I'm, I'm not sure if it shows up too, too much in terms of changes. I know it shows up in velocity. Um, and yeah. I know that it shows up in, uh, probably the rating of perceived, uh, exertion there. Um, there's, I know there's a lot of guys that are not huge fans of, of Chicago in the, in April, but luckily it's not our guys. It's, uh, it's the other teams that, uh, that really seem to, <laughs> right. to hate that. Um, and I mean, this April is not really the greatest example either. We had some, yeah, it's you know, actually been pretty nice. Yeah. We've had some great days yeah. there. So, um, I think it's, it's probably something to consider on the warm up side of things too, right? Like if it's really cold out there, like you might need a little bit more to, to get warm, to get ready to go into that game. Um, and I know that does definitely get factored in. Okay. Sorry, I lost my train of thought here. No, no worries. <laughs> oh, so with a season like the Cubs are having right now, I mean, I think things on the whole are going pretty well. I've seen some of the the numbers, the you know, the the metrics we would say the Cubs are actually playing a little bit unlucky. Maybe the Pythagorean record should be a little bit better. Um, but I think this team came in. There were expectations that they could potentially compete in the division, compete for a wild card, and, and really start to make some movement this year as opposed to the last couple. Um, when they're in the margins like this, they're playing a lot of close games, and it's a pitching and defense kind of built team. Mm-hmm. I imagine you guys are trying to scrape out you know, every little edge you can find to try to flip those margins in the Cubs' favor. Yeah, I, I think that's like... You know, at the end of the day, I, I think a lot of us in R&D and, and baseball science are almost trying to evaluate what we do the same way that we evaluate what the players do. Like, you know, is there anything we can do to add point one war to to the team, um, you know, and put a guy in the, the best possible situation to make a good decision or execute something better? Um, so, you know, like I was mentioning, we we talk regularly across the entire organization uh, and try and find the best possible ways that we can all, you know, contribute. And that involves making some pretty crazy guesses at what might work um, and trying out some really wild things. And it's, uh, it's really cool. Um, I'd say one of the, you know, the best parts of things is you have an idea sometimes. Um, it goes up the chain and, you know, you've got Carter, he's got your back and he's like, we're making this happen. And, you know, he tries to get it out to everybody and say, listen, this is the idea we want to go with. And, and it's got the backing from the GM and Carter and Jed are all over it. So, um, you know, our ideas go all the way up to that, that level. And, and we all have each other's back and it's really at the end of the day, we, we're all working towards the same thing. We all, you know, we all want to relive 2016 and, and build the next great Cubs team. Yeah. Can you give me an example of one of those crazy ideas? Maybe even something that didn't work, but just something that was kind of fun to dig into and explore. 
I mean, I've, I've been full-time with the Cubs uh, since last November uh, and then had done some consulting work in the past. And I would say those crazy ideas are probably uh, falling under that that other topic we had talked about earlier as uh, the things that uh, I can't really touch on too, too much. Fair but enough. I can say that, um, you know, we try to put ourselves in a position internally where we recognize all of the best possible technologies that could help us. And we turn over every stone when it comes to trying out new technologies um, in the wearable space and the training space and everything like, like that. Uh, mm-hmm. And we will, you know, we might try out 10 technologies before we find the 11th that, Hey, there's something here. And then when we find out that it's here, it's a, it's a full press throughout the organization. Um, wherever we we have access to that technology to to use it in that case so it's kind of that intersection of trying a new technology along with uh how we implement that technology that's like the the really advanced stuff um and that's that's definitely where we get everyone involved okay did you guys get down to analyzing you know the the equipment players use you know the the size and weight of bat making recommendations on you know maybe later in the season they go to a slightly lighter bat slightly shorter bat. Yeah. And I mean, I think the characteristics of the bat matter a lot too, right? Um, a bat is going to perform slightly differently in Arizona than if it's been sitting out in a closet there. And, uh, as opposed to, you know, Chicago in, in August when it's super humid and, uh, there. So, uh, it definitely that definitely like looking at the different ball characteristics uh, and, and how those might change. Um, I think, those are definitely two of the areas that we we fully explore um, to try and see if there's any advantage we can gain there. And how do you guys with, mention the baseball? Um, you know, baseball's gotten a lot of publicity over the last few years with the the ball changing every year. Do you guys get specs from Major League Baseball, or do you just need to get the ball in and just see how it's playing and and react it's, on the fly? It's definitely more that second one. <laughs> That's and what it's, I thought. Uh, and it was definitely, uh, that was a surprise to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. I mean, it, I was, uh, I've played with some different baseballs and I, there was a, a coach that works with my son had an actual world series baseball. And I mean, the, the laces are so small, yeah. so low profile compared yep. to, you know, rec league balls or high school baseballs, youth league, stuff like that. Well, and, and yeah. I know we've, we've looked at ball characteristics from the Cape Cod league to the, Japan to double A to, to major league, like there can be quite a bit of variance depending on the level you're at, uh, the location you're at. And, you know, I, I know there's conspiracy theories out there depending on who's playing and on sure. what night of the week. So <laughs> <laughs> do you, um, does that get factored in a lot, say in the, like the minor leagues, do you factor in how the ball is performing to, so that you can get better context on what a guy's doing? I, I mean, as much as we can. Right. Um, I know up until, you know, our, our low levels of the minors, um, up until I believe double A uses a different ball than double A through the major leagues. Um, okay. And that's the, the specific major league ball. So it, it feels a little bit different. It performs a little bit differently. So we try to understand that, that context um, as best as we can. In terms of like the variance day to day or the variance within a ball, um, I think we're just, you know, trying to take reasonable aggregates of of our information so that we do get a representative 
idea as to how that ball performs. Um, but yeah, when, when things change, it, 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 you definitely sometimes are wondering like, Hey, what's, what's happening here? I know, yeah. I know as an, I know as an analyst, I'm glad that I don't have to try and make sense of the pitching performances in, uh, in Mexico city that happened this weekend. So oh, that was wild. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was pretty extreme altitude. Yeah. One, Cause I, I, I believe Colorado is, you know, around 5,000 feet. Um, and yeah. I think Mexico city is closer to 7,000 feet. So as much as there's the, the Coors effect, it's, it's wild. You know, there's a, <laughs> this Mexico city effect, that ball was absolutely flying. Yeah. Well, and no course field, they've done a lot of things. They get the humidors set up and they do a lot of prep on the balls ahead of time to try to knock some of that down. But that was, that was wild this weekend. I did not see that coming. Yep. Absolutely. Poor pitchers had that had to throw that weekend. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. You feel bad for them. That's for sure. <laughs> um, so how, how have you seen since you've come on, you know, you came on in the off season. Um, I imagine there was a lot of, you know, getting to know the staff and getting the models set up. How different is the in-season work for you versus the out-of-season? Are you kind of always digging into the same types of problems? Um, I Like I was saying earlier, I do feel like our group, we're trying to work on stuff that might impact the team down the road. So in, in the season you know, our schedules do revolve around when the team is home or, or when our, our minor league teams are home or, or whatever's happening there. So we are cognizant of it. Um, I would say though, that like the majority of our work, you know, our projects that we work on, those don't change too, too much. Um, you know, if we are seeing like a trend that's happening across the org that's happening in these games, you know, we may go, Hey, is this something that's actually happening? Or is this just like a, statistical anomaly uh and we might react to something like that but you know normally our projects are kind of set and then that's probably 80 percent of our time with you know 20 percent of our time revolving around okay what's a fire that we need to help put out okay when you were working with guys on we talked about a little bit earlier the the uh strikeout rates for hitters <laughs> um and you're, you know, you got guys like Patrick Wisdom's done a great job bringing his strikeout rate down over the past few seasons, and we're seeing the results of that. And I know Christopher Morell is one who came up last year and got off to a quick start. By the end of the season, his strikeout rate was going up because pitchers had a book on him. Yeah. Um, how much do you set up in terms of feeding them, trying to get the batters to understand different pitch types, or is it more mechanical? Like, what goes into decreasing a guy's K rate? I think it's it's helping them come up with the information they need to make really good decisions, um, you know, and and quantifying their swing decisions. I'd say on our end, you know, it's quantifying certain things about their bat path that may influence them to have a higher swinging strike rate, or um, you know, telling them what pitches they need to to maybe lay off because they're just not going to be able to put a good swing on it. Um, like I was mentioning earlier, our hitting group with like Stoney and then Rachel Folden and, and Steven Polikoff, you know, they do a pretty, pretty incredible job of understanding those individual differences. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think we're seeing like with Morel, like he's tearing the cover off the ball right now in, in AAA and it'll be exciting to get to see him, you know, at Wrigley when it, whenever that time comes. Um, so I think when these guys have things like elevated K rates or, 
noticeable flaws. Uh, we do approach it with like an all hands on deck approach to say, you know, what are the things we're going to need? What are the tools we're going to need to, to help him improve? Okay. And then on, kind of in the same vein, but almost the reverse. So you got a guy like Nico Horner, who's super high contact. And I know bit by bit, they're trying to grow a little bit more power in, in him. Not that maybe he'll never be a 30 homer guy, but mm-hmm. gap doubles, use his speed, maybe get from the 10 home runs he hit last year to like 15. Do you guys build those out in models and kind of help the batter understand maybe when to swing a little harder, maybe go a little bit closer to max effort to try to get that extra pop? I I think that gets considered in there. I I mean, I would say like an interesting thing with Nico, right? Is like he hit a ball 111 earlier this season. Like that's hitting the ball extremely, extremely hard. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Right. Like anything over 110, that's, that's getting into like, absolutely crushing the ball um and a lot of our guys can hit the ball really really hard so that power is there um i think sometimes it comes down to approach and like when in the lineup is he being used like nico is we're trying to get him on base more and you know play that leadoff role and and use his speed when he's on the bases and you know when the time comes yeah he he can unload on on one and like we said 111 that's he's uh he's grown a lot and he, he's really hitting the ball hard yeah well and there's been a lot of good contact i mean even even the marlin series i was watching the game yesterday there were probably six or seven outs where the balls were just crushed and it was either a fielder made a great play or it's right at a guy yeah. um i guess with that you're just trying to reinforce the like keep doing this because if you if you're hitting the ball 95 mile an hour plus you're going to have more good results than bad. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's, it can be frustrating and, you know, series like this Marlins one can can be frustrating, but you do have to keep in mind that it's 162 and there's yes. probably going to be a few games where we get some seeing eye singles and, and end up winning, right? Like, you yep. know, you win a two to one game or those, uh, those one run games are, they, they can make your hair go gray, but they can also, you know, lead to making the playoffs at the end of the year. And a lot of times those things kind of shake out. And when we're at this point in the season, um, along the same vein, when do you start feeling comfortable that maybe a a change has stuck as opposed to a guy had a hot week? Like Cody Bellinger could be an example. He got off to a really slow start the first week or two, Mm -hmm. but it's really been tearing it out, tearing the cover off the ball lately. Like when do you feel good that, okay, I, I think this change is in. Yeah, I I think that's something that we look at um, that occurs periodically. Like you want to check in on like different windows, right? Because something might happen for two weeks at one point in time and then it goes down again. And, uh, you know, looking at things like their peak exit velocities and looking at, you know, their decisions they're making. Like you you can't let outcome always uh, determine everything. You have to... You know, go to your process and and see if the if all the steps to make a good decision and make good contact and the swing was good and if all of that is looking really really good, you know, you have to kind of encourage the player to say, listen, like keep going, like it's it's in there. You're eventually going to get some to, you know, to get some stuff to to fall in place. And do you guys get involved in decisions with let's say guys working on some problems and and maybe there's something off with the mechanics. Do you guys get involved with, is it better to work it out at the big league level or potentially go back to AAA and, and be able to do it in a little bit more relaxed environment? Um, I wouldn't say that's something that we're super involved in. Um, you know, we usually find out about those 
uh, transactions on Twitter with everybody else. Okay. So, um, no, that's definitely not our domain. Um, okay. um, cool. Um, I really enjoyed having you on today. Um, any, uh, interesting bits or stories you want to share from <laughs> something you can share? Yeah. I mean, um, I, I think it's, uh, it's been a, it's been a lot of fun. Um, you know, I think, um, the, the staff that we have, um, I, I would say one of the most impressive things that I saw in spring training is, you know, Tommy Hadovy said, I think this is happening with one of our pitchers mechanics. And he's like, could you get me some data on that to, to see? And like his eye test was like spot on. And, That's amazing. um, you know, when we are, are looking at a lot of these data, I, I think we have the data in place to help our lower level coaches, um, be able to make decisions at the same level as, you know, maybe our major league coaches, but I'm, I've been very, very surprised. Um, not because I didn't think it was happening. Cause I, part of the reason I joined the Cubs was because I, I really liked the staff and I really liked the people and I really liked their processes. Uh, but to see it in action of like how data, data heavy our guys closest to the major league level, you know, our major league pitching coach, how much he uses those data and how good the eye test is there. Uh, it, it really did kind of blow my mind. That's impressive. Yeah. It's probably along the same vein as now that we have review for umpires. I mean, it's amazing how good the umpires actually are. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I think that's the, that's the general story. Um, is you know we're talking about how hard hitting is uh being closer to things has only tripled or quadrupled my appreciation just for how good major league baseball players are and how fine that line is between being the you know the best hitter in the game and and toiling in the minors um you know it's uh yeah. it's pretty remarkable uh just exactly how difficult um, the game is but just how good these these guys are I guess one last question before we get out. Um, there are some more rule changes that Theo Epstein proposed that are going to go in for some testing this year. As soon as those ideas get proposed, do you guys start looking ahead to what would that mean? Or do you wait till that rule's a little bit more baked? And I think we, we would probably try and start exploring just what the impact is, you know, running some theoretical models to say, you know, is a bigger base going to lead to more steals? And just to make ourselves aware as to what mm -hmm. might happen when these things are, are implemented. Um, we probably don't exhaust every avenue of R and D into exploring rule changes until, you know, it's like, Hey, like this is actually happening. It's being rolled out at, you know, the, the, the Southern league or whatever it is. Uh, and then we'll kind of keep our eyes peeled on, you know, how those, those changes impact things there. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what other rule changes come along and, and just how those, uh, those impact the, the pace of the game and, and the product on the field. Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you for your time today. Enjoyed having you on. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad we could do this. Uh, it, it was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. You, you have the job. I think, uh, me and most of my audience would love to have baseball scientists for the Chicago <laughs> Cubs is, is, uh, maybe the best title ever. Like I, like I said, uh, before, like, I, I don't think it's a dream job cause I don't think I'd ever be this audacious to dream something like this could happen. <laughs> so it, it is a lot of fun and I'm, I'm very, very grateful to have the opportunity. Great. Where can people find you? Uh, I, I'm on Twitter as at Dr. Mike Son. uh, 
the the same on Instagram. And uh, I mean, at this point, it's it's more dog pictures and and photos of my friends playing sure. softball here in, in Hamilton. But uh, yeah, feel free to to reach out and you know I, I can answer the questions I can answer. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds great. Thank you for your awesome. time. Yeah, thanks a lot. Take. Thank you for joining me today, and another big thank you to Mike Son for coming on the show. If you liked the discussion, or maybe especially if you didn't, please drop a rating and a review wherever it is you get your podcasts, or tell a friend about the show. Just a few seconds gives me great feedback and helps other Cub fans find the show. You can also find me on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube, all at CubsPS+. And check out the new Patreon page, CubsPSPlus.Patreon.com to help support the show and keep it ad-free. This is Mike Waller, host of the Cubs PS Plus podcast. Every day with Cubs baseball or talking about Cubs baseball is a great day. Go Cubs!